Toronto Maple Leafs squeak out a victory over the Montreal Canadiens and then 24 hours later lose to the Ottawa Senators. So where are we after two games? Is there a level of concern? Well, don't ask us. Let's ask Jason Spezza. Yeah, it's, it's early in the year, so let's not make something too big of a deal, but it's you want to find your identity as a team, and obviously we've had two slow starts here, two games in a row, so it's going to be something we'll talk about. Uh, we'll take tomorrow to rest because, you know, we got to get rest after playing back-to-back to start, but it'll be definitely a theme going into next game and something we don't want to make a habit of starting slow, but uh, it, it is something that uh, will be addressed and, and we'll talk about and we'll move forward. Nick Kiprios, Justin Bourne, we got Sammy and Derek. All right, JB, we're not going to use the P word. It's too early to use the P word. Yeah. So we'll use the C word, concern. Mm -hmm. So where are we on a scale of 1 to 10? Oh, I'm... On the concern scale. (laughs) I'm low. I'm low, and I know uh, that's not a popular stance. It's the... the, the, I'm supposed to panic. Oh, I said it. Darn it, I said it. But... Um, you know, I think there's this thing, Kipper, where you remember when your coaches you lose a game 3-2 and they'd look back at every highlight with a negative, uh, through a negative lens because you lost? I think as the Leafs went down, really, uh, you know, went down 3 nothing due to some bad bounces, everyone looked at that game as a disaster. Kind of wasn't that bad if you pull back and look at the full 60. They played a lot of really good hockey, kind of got unlucky. I- I'm not that concerned. And you? Yeah. I'm a little bit uh, more concerned uh, than you are. I thought so. And uh, we're going to bring in Sammy as well because he's got the the pulse of Leaf Nation. If anybody can get the vibe out there on social media, man, it's, it's this guy. And Sammy, I want you to weigh in on this, but I just don't like that there's a feel of pick up where you left off last season and it just seems to me that there's a mindset right now with this team in terms of how they think they want to win right and i just don't think it it matches up to to what is needed to get done ultimately when your season's on the line and, and that's in the playoffs and it's just style of play for me is is not good in the first two games. They were supposed to be a little tougher to play against, thus the pickups. And that's not to say that Bunting hasn't done what he's supposed to do, but as a, as a team, as a whole, I don't think that they're very hard to play against in the first two games that I've seen, Justin. No. Um You know, I think the idea when Dubas builds a team is that he doesn't want to have some team that'll, uh, you know, win the fights, but he does want to have a team that's tough in terms of, you know, Michael Bunting stuff, where he'll be at the net and jamming the crease and being in those areas. It just feels like there's a lot of guys who are struggling so far to make an impact on the game when their offense isn't there. Nick Ritchie, you know, like, okay, you're not scoring, fine. What are you doing then? Mitch Marner hasn't been, you know, he's not a major topic so far, but like, you know, you want to see some impact from guys. John Tavares, like, where's the impact if not the offense? Guys seem to be struggling to find it without uh, contributing on the offensive side. 
Sammy? Yeah, I'm not going to go as far as to say that I'm you know, going to use the P word here, but I think the the C word concerned is is a good one. And I think it just goes back to our earlier conversations from this, you know, my sort of panicky conversations about this roster. And I think a lot of Leaf fans are feeling the same way as I am. You know, you look up and down this roster and, hey, any team that's missing Austin Matthews is going to look a little thinner. There's no debate. And once, you know, they get the best goal scorer maybe in the world back on the at the top of the lineup, it's going to look a hell of a lot better, which I, you know, I don't think that's a hot take. But you just look down the lineup, and if it's not him doing something, if it's not Marner doing something, it's just who's it going to be? So I, I've, I still kind of stick with my take that it's a bit of a, a paper-thin lineup here. And I'm concerned about the bottom half of it, boys. I, I, I can't lie to you. It just looks really similar to last year. It just looks like exactly the same mix and match that bottom six. And, you know, it's just new kind of guys that aren't doing much. We dissected the crap out of that all or nothing. And there's just so much out of it that I, I may I may just draw parts of it all season long. And, and I'll do it because so much of that has, has stuck with me. And there is a scene with Sheldon Keefe where he is in the room and he has a real concern about their play. And he used these words. We got to start competing here. Every guy is playing at the end of their stick. Last night, Simmons, end of his stick slash penalty. Richie along the wall doesn't come up with a, a puck, a loose puck that goes up down on a two-on-one. Engvall has to reach in on Brown, end of his stick. Tavares late in the game, and this was just a horse crap penalty, okay? A god-awful call on Tavares at the end of the game. That officiating, uh, don't, don't even get me started. But nonetheless, <laughs> Tavares playing at the end of his stick. And then he says, and then Sheldon says in the room on all or nothing, we're just hoping that we can do all that we can do just to not get touched. And we don't want to touch anyone else. And I'm sorry, that's what I've seen in the first two games. Thus the concern. Really? Yeah. You know, it's... You know, I, I didn't peg that as something you would have had from last night that they just – do you mean more like at the net or physically engaging on the forecheck? Is there any – or yes. just all over the rink? Everything. Yeah. Just just they, they, they want to they wanna play their, the way they want to play. And they, they just want to wait for their opportunities to score. And me, it, it's about – it's not about the goals for this team any longer. It's about the play – between the goals that I have huge concerns about. Mm -hmm. And there are some signs. Uh, Nylander starting to play a heavier game. You you said it the other day, JB. He's turning into a man here. And I'm seeing I'm seeing a guy that if he can be a a poor Pasternak, but he's got he's got parts of Pasternak's game in him now where he's actually bumping a guy off the off off the puck. Right. And that, to me, is a huge sign. But if I'm only seeing that at a Nylander right now, then this isn't going the way it should go. Well, I love the point you made off the top of the show that there's carryover from playoffs. 
struggling to score goals, slow starts. If you look at the Montreal, at the end of the Montreal series, they had to come back. They made two tremendous comebacks from down 2 nothing and down 3 nothing. but you know, got behind the eight ball and then looked like world beaters in the chase. You know, once the desperation there and the other team dials back a little bit, they look like world beaters. Uh, Nylander looking good, but where's Marner? You know, obviously Tavares is a different story there, but there is a lot of overlap uh, right now. I would say the biggest change is that they don't have a reliable D pair to play in the D zone right now. I know that Justin Hall and Jake Muzzin have been this pair where you start them in the D zone, you play them against top competition, and you still come out on the right side of the play. They're not providing that for them, and that's one of the areas where it's different and in that way worse than it was in the playoffs. The only thing uh, I disagreed with uh, Spezza in his comment, and this excludes him, he's 38 years old. You get all the rest you need. But yeah. the comment about back-to-back games and now we got to get rest. Did the season just not start for these guys? They're screaming for rest How already. It is. JB, with the exception of Jason Spezza at 38 with what close to 1,200 <laughs> games in the National Hockey League, I would yeah. drag everyone's ass right in today, and and get ready for the Ottawa Senators. I wouldn't. I wouldn't give anybody a day off. They, those guys don't deserve a day off. They need to. They need to come back and look in the mirror to go against Ottawa Saturday night. I don't disagree. I don't at all disagree. I feel like early in the season right now, it's like, you know, everyone just had summer. Things are are still not quite right. You're encountering some of the same issues as he did last season. I think we got to come in and talk about this, sort it out. Where do we see issues? What can we do better? Um, it is it is interesting that they're going right to a day off. So how how did you want to attack what we saw last night? Uh, Let's start it, with the the starring game one, Engvall. Okay. okay. Yeah. If I if I looked at Engvall like I would like uh, a guy in Vegas playing blackjack, he <laughs> okay. he won big, and instead of just keeping the money, he goes back the next day and he gives it all back. And did Engvall, with one pass, give it all back? Essentially. You know what? It wasn't just the one pass. You know, Keith made comments after the game where he said, you know, okay, you make the bad play, you know, but then you got to move on from that. It's like Engvall let that stick in his head, and he was awful last night in every aspect of the game. You know, there's another touch where Hall gives him a puck and he skates it back into the corner and turns it over again. There's another play where he gets walked by uh, another player. There's a power play breakout where he gets, he turns it over to blue. It was awful. Awful from him last night. So, I don't know. I think that's what you're going to get from Engvall is that there's going to be great nights. The idea is to make his bad better. He has to find a way to have a better bad. Just dump it in, I guess, would help. The game, if it was to really break down, people, when you when you watch a hockey game, and if you have a chance to even replay it, watch what players do four feet outside the blue line and four feet inside the blue line. That's, that's where the game's won and lost. And Engvall needed to take four steps up. Every time. And, that, and it's over. But when you... When you make those bad decisions just inside that blue line, uh, you're not going to have much success in the National Hockey League. And you know that that pass, you 
you're taught in peewee, you're taught in Bantam, you're taught in junior. You just flat foot, you can't make that pass that Engvall did last night. No. That's 101 hockey. Well, and you look at there's, you know, they have all these turnovers, and I'm thinking of the Montreal series too, where you're like, well, that's a one off awful play. It can't happen again. Galchenyuk does it in overtime, Dermot does it in overtime. There's this play here. You know, Right now, through a couple games of the NHL season, no team in the NHL has given up more scoring chances off turnovers. The Leafs have given up 21 scoring chances off turnovers through two games. Worst in the league. Is that is that personnel or a mindset to you? Because I think it's personnel. I just think it's the guys you have. That's the way they want to play. This is the same team that uh, managed to be, what, the top 10 defensive teams last year. They 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 made strides last year uh JB, this this shouldn't even be a discussion right now. Mm-hmm. So what happened is is Hall's play dropped substantially in in the first couple of games. He just he he didn't look very engaged to me uh, to the to the end of the period. Uh, it was it was a complete disaster. Like at the very least, you got you got a face off with what twenty seconds to go in the first period, the face-offs at Ottawa's blue line. You've got your best checking line out there, supposedly. You've got your best two defensive players in Muzzin and Hall, supposedly. And you see one of the softest plays that you'll ever see to end a period. And it starts with Muzzin behind the net. And Hall wants to make just this this chip up the middle of the ice. And Kosh is there, and he wants nothing to do with it. And he throws up his pizza that ricochets off of what? Nick Ritchie. Yeah, yeah. And at the very least, it's 2 nothing. It should be 2 nothing to come out of that first period. And that, that final minute was the game, essentially. I mean, it ends up being the difference in the game. God, I think back last year, that 5-1 lead, they blew to Ottawa. They got the late goal from Paul that was a shorty. In preseason, Ottawa scored on them in the dying minute uh, uh, of a period. That is uh, a crucial time, you know, right at the the starts and ends of things and get to the intermission and regroup. Uh, Terrible time to give one up. So last night, I thought Mrazek was actually good, but I want him to make that save for the boys there. I know it's not a good play. No, no, no. Don't, don't. Just start with, I wanted him to, like, finish the game. Just start yeah. there. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry, but this is just the start of the season. You're you had all summer to train and I, whatever the guys want to do, and each have their own trainers and they go through their whatever they want to do. Then you come to training camp. It's a shorter training camp. There's not. It's not hectic like it used to be. How do you pull your groin in the first game? How is that even possible? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, but it's, you know, he has a bit of an injury history. This is, you know, I... So then we're not surprised. I, you know, I, I guess you knew it was a risk. He doesn't have a history of being a guy who can play, put together a full season or be a full-time starter. It, it hasn't worked out in that regard. I don't think you bank on, you know, you, you can count on anyone ever getting injured, but there is a certain pattern at some point where you start to go, okay, well, 
you know, my, I found my son's old slingshot last night and tried to pull it and load it, and the elastic bands snapped. And it's like at some point, just it's just the elastic bands don't work anymore. So we would assume, JB, that there 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 was a, a blueprint, a master plan on Campbell, Mrazek, how many games in a perfect world. We're going to lean towards getting Jack ready for what is hopefully a, a long run in the playoffs. Uh you got to assume Razik based on the fact that he went down so hard and could not put any pressure on, on, on his contact on no contact on the ice as he, as he made his way off the ice that he's going to be gone four to six weeks. Campbell pulled it, right? Didn't he pop yeah. it last year? Yep. Same thing. Gone a month, <laughs> which is terrifying too, you know? So, okay. so all of a sudden now, You've got you. You've signed a guy to a two-year deal at what over three million dollars, who uh, has a history of being hurt, right? Three million, yeah. Sammy. Three years. It was a three-year three deal. Not. Oh, it was, it was a three-year three deal. deal. Yes, sir. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Three-year deal, and with a history, who will not be available. Now you got to go to Jack Campbell, who also has a history of injuries and and a pulled groin, and now you're going to probably tax him a lot more than you intended for the first month, month and a half. Hey, he wants to play like Cujo. He's got to play 65. You know what? That's that that's not in the plans. I don't think that was ever in the plans. No, that was not a part of the best case scenario plans, was it? So, But here we are. So maybe a level of concern just al- alone when you think about your goaltending situation. Yeah. Hutchinson makes me nervous. <laughs> you know, he had some good games for him last year, but uh, certainly, you know, the one bright spot is that you think Campbell can go as long as there's no back-to-backs. The, or the Leafs have, over the next month, only two back-to-backs but, but before now in the middle of November. Let's say Mrazic's best-case scenario, he's four weeks. Hutch gets two games. You know, get you one win. It's not a crisis. He just about buried the team the year before, but... Um, you know, you you just need him to be okay over over two games. So you're not asking for too much out of your third stringer. We're gonna have Dominic Moore a little later on in the show, and also Brian Lawton, former NHL player, agent, uh, NHL Network. Uh, we're gonna get into a ton, including Charlie McAvoy, back to back huge signings. Ottawa, of course, with Kachuk, and now Charlie McAvoy, nine point five million for the Boston Bruins. Uh, we'll get into that. Also, Dominic Moore, former. Uh, Toronto Maple Leaf. You know this guy played on four of six original teams. How cool is that? That is really cool. So we'll get his thoughts on on the Leafs as well. Now, as far as last night's concern, uh, the power play did not look good early, and, and it kind of found its groove, but didn't really find it with the look of a bumper roll for for Mitch Marner. I mean, this was old school. This was just get it to your best shooters and let it rip. Yeah, I love the Spezza slap shot. I love that he just, like, scrapes the ceiling like a good old-fashioned ally of Frady Bomb. But, yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, work in progress, I'd say. It's really tough to get a sense for what the PP is going to be without the guy, right? It's like the Capitals without Ovechkin. Well, you know, how, how do you judge their power play until Matthews comes back? The one thing I do have as a note is – you know, Mitch Marner, for whatever you want to say about the guy, all we heard about was his working on his shooting, right? 
he was going to work on that, and now he's going to be more of a threat and have a shooter's mentality. The guy's taken 19 shot attempts this uh, through two games. He's hit the net 10 times. He misses the net like half the time. I think he's trying to be too perfect. I think it hurts the the guys he's out there with because there's no rebounds. Everything's just into the corner. I, I don't know if he's trying to be too perfect or just uh, just a poor shooter yeah. in general, but it doesn't look much different to me than well, last year. Are, are the shots coming from player uh, from from areas where he's he's not overly comfortable? And yeah. again, that to me, a, a couple of those shots that you're talking about, it, it's not it's not a typical look for Mitch Marner. Yeah, uh, he's got this guy has to be in motion and he's got to use totally all aspects of the ice. And he's just he's a painter, so paint. I, I think I think they're just trying to they're trying to make everybody I think especially on that bumper power play uh, force things where it it just doesn't feel comfortable for them. It's almost and, like establishing the run, though. They're like, look, we will use them, and I hope that they can just yeah. use the flanks after a couple of games or something. You know, you can have guidelines, but at, at the end of the day, you're still ad-libbing out there, JB. Uh, yep. Right? Yep. And that's that's where I think uh, Mitch has to be a little bit more free-flowing. You had some, Sammy? Kind of... Yeah, I guess I have a question for you guys about the power play and just the way that they enter the zones. Because as a Leaf fan, and this is a complaint I hear a lot from different Leaf fans in my life, is it's incredibly frustrating to watch them do the line, like the, the drop back constantly, where yeah. they come up to the blue, or come up to the center line, and they drop it back, and they pick it up with Marner with speed, and he tries to dance through two guys, and they get it whacked away at, 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 the, at the blue line going into the zone. So why don't they just do a rim here and there, like a hard rim? You know, I know you're not supposed to give up possession or once in a while, but once in a while... Can you not try a hard rim? Try something a little different. Maybe win a battle to get the puck possession in the offensive zone. It just seems they bang their head against the wall with that entry so often. I hate it. I absolutely hate it uh, that Emilio Estevez flying V <laughs> from the Mighty Duck movie. That's what it looks okay. like. It reminds me of that. Oh, it's 100% that. Uh, to me, why would you have four guys standing around at the end of it and just watch one guy try to gain the zone with like no support. Yeah. They might as well just grab a bag of popcorn with everybody else in the front row. It's, you know what? I I'm with you guys or you, you leave everyone else flat footed. So Mike Kelly, who we had on talking analytics the other day recently had a bit on how it's actually more effective than, than it looks and teams do get set up. My problem is no one does anything different. Like, what is the baseline for us to compare it to? The, you know, there was one last night, and it's in my article on sportsnet.ca there, where Engvall's bringing the puck up the line. Ottawa's doing the, uh, I think they call it a, a four-go or something. Anyway, they got four guys up on the blue line. And if he just chips it in behind him, he's the only guy with speed to go get it. Go get it. You know, I, I know from working with Sheldon, uh, you know, often he'll have, the drop is option one, and then if it's not working, they can call an audible and do five guys back, but they never do. It's always a drop. They always know what's coming. There's one guy with speed. I, I get frustrated by, frustrated by it, too. Last night, my only beef probably with Sheldon Keefe last night was watching what transpired after the Spezza goal, mm -hmm. which made it 3-1 uh, and nullified, of course, uh, the uh, the first uh, penalty, but then Josh Brown goes in 
for a fresh two minutes on a cross check, I believe, on Tavares in front of the net. Mm-hmm. Brand new power play. Two minutes. Ton of momentum. Call a timeout. Get the same Call guys a out. timeout and get your big boys back out there. Yeah. You got a fresh two-minute power play. You took off $35 million and you put on $5 million. <laughs> Engvall, Bunting, Richie, Sandlin, and Kasha. I like, you know, good on Kasha. He's hanging in there. But now Kasha's now going to be a, a, a point guy on a power play. And it was a complete disaster. He gets caught. Richie loses a, a puck battle, uh, doesn't come up with a puck along the wall. Now you're down on a two-on-one. Engvall takes that penalty and done. Just call a timeout. The, 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 the big boys would have had at least a minute and a half, two minutes, but by the time they got guys in and out of the penalty box, mm-hmm. and now they're fresh to go. You don't yeah. – you don't – you don't go from shopping on Fifth Avenue to the Dollarama store in that instance. <laughs> you know, they, it's funny. I, I agree, by the way. I think that's a really good point. They, uh, you know, they, we're, we're obviously being a little bit negative on the team here, and justifiably so. You lose to Ottawa, not supposed to be a very good team. But, like, Sammy, what did you say? How many shots in the third period? I don't know exactly what it was, but wasn't it all almost a franchise record? Yeah, they were up near 30 in the in the third period. But, like... But that goes back to the starts, guys. And I talked about this with you before the show, but it just seems that this Leafs team has the ability to play so amazing, like they did in the third period where they're just all over an inferior opponent, but they just can't start with the desperation or they can't start with that intensity. And listen, I don't watch other teams like the way I watch the Leafs, so maybe this is, you know, a Leafs bubble thought, but it just seems throughout the whole era of this when they've been supposed to be good, this is what happens almost every night, it seems like. It always seems like they get off to these... I mean, Mike Babcock, you know, start on time. That's always been a theme. And it just seems that I don't know what it is with this team that they just kind of go into these lulls for the first 10, minute of, 10 minutes of the game. And it almost... It, it costs them a lot of nights. So I, I don't know. It, it's a mentality thing. But I'll let you guys get in on that. But it just, it just... It seems that with this iteration of the Leafs, it's always been a huge issue. JB, did uh, Leaf Nation just cringe with Sammy's reference to... Babcock after just two games. <laughs> Babs. Start on time, boys. Sammy's got a great Babs. He's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I don't have yep. a great Babs. I'm not doing it. Yep. <laughs> Travel yeah, safe. No, it is, uh, it is a concern. You don't want to be talking about Babs this early because that's not, not a great reflection. My, I guess my main criticism, like, you know, they got 48 shots last night. Actually, I'm going to hold the criticism. All they right. So 40... let's go. We'll, we'll go. We'll go good. We'll go good. Okay. Find it for me. All right. The, the the bright side of things is, you know, threatening 50 shots. Anton Forsberg last night was out of his brain. Like, I mean, out of his mind good. Uh, he had the, so of the five games with the most slot saves over the past year, like going back, including all of last season, Forsberg was, was, was in there. It was the, he stopped 23 shots from the slot last night. He's not going to play like that very often. You know, that was a complete out-of-his-mind blackout game, and that game could be a lot different if he's anything like the rest of his career. Ton of shots, ton of chances. Willie Nylander is 
Uh, I mean, otherworldly right now. Bunting's been very good. Uh, really impressed with Sandine and Dermot. I, I, their pair has been excellent. Sandine, I'm curious, like, can you give this guy more or should you just enjoy that you're getting good minutes from him on the third pair? You, you don't, yeah, for me, it's... Don't start making him feel like we really need you. That's when it gets really difficult for still young players that are developing and trying to mature and not get ahead of themselves. And I think that was a big mistake last year at the end of the season when they started to say, well, we really need you right now in the power play. And I think, I think he's good and I think he's going to get better, but Morgan Riley, you, you got to give Sandine the thought that, that Morgan's still the king of the hill here, that he's still number one. I, I, despite what his contract status is saying, it has to be abundantly clear that Morgan Riley's still the guy. Yep. No, I, I, I agree with that. It's, uh, you know, it's happened now with Nick Robertson too, right? Like, the, you know, Sandine, they got too eager to put him in a big role. Robertson played in the Columbus series. Like, they're they're dying for these guys to be difference makers if it's not the case, don't force it to be the case. I am curious how long he can play well while the Muzzin Hall pair struggles, but you know, I I just think you need more time to start of the season. I like Spez's point about you know relax here, not that worried about the bad starts. You know, I, I think the off the rush chances have to be tightened up more than anything else. Like they've given up a ton of chances off the rush, but yeah. I, I'm not in full panic mode. I would be careful if I'm Jason Spezza just to 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 overplay that card because right now the the only one that I think. Uh, at times really knows what he's dealing with is Sheldon Keefe. Yeah. Okay. And I think sometimes he bites his tongue on, on what his concerns may be, but there, there's a fine line between, Hey, everybody, you know, no problem. And again, I'm going back boys. I'm going back to all or nothing. Okay. I'm going back one more time. Cause I love that because I just got, I just got so much out of it. No and, kidding. and, and Okay. The the team leader meeting in Sheldon Keeves' office. Do you remember that one? Yes. Okay. Joe Thornton. Tavares. Big deal. Marner. Uh, Muzzin. Riley. Morgan Riley. And Joe Thornton. And there's Joe. Okay. And he and Sheldon's like, boys, come playoff time. I don't know. He's saying we're one of the worst teams. Sheldon tells the boys. And there's there's a sense of urgency. Not going to use the panic word, but there was a sense of urgency for Sheldon that we're not doing enough. We're not getting second or third chances, and we're not battling hard enough to score goals that you have to. And then the, the camera went around the room a little bit, and you got a couple of uh, token comments about... Uh, Momentum shifts from Tavares and uh, Muzzin mentioned intensity. And then there was Joe Thornton. And you know what Joe said? Do you remember what Joe said? Uh, we're in first. Yes. We're, we're in first. That's what he said. It was like, don't worry about it. We got this. And I'm like, does anybody wonder why Joe Thornton's not here this year? Like, that's where that's where Joe need Sheldon needed Joe to stand up and say, "Boys, I've been through teams that were up three nothing and lost to the L.A. Kings, 
okay? I know what it's like to be close but not do enough to get over the hump. The last thing Sheldon needed out of a 20-plus year guy is to say, hey, we're in first place. We're fine. Don't chill out, man. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And what is, and then what does Marner think when he hears Joe say that? You know. And what is, how does yeah. that ripple into the room? And and here's Spezza where he, 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 I get what Spezza is trying to do and say, but I hope behind the scenes he can sit there and honestly say, boys, this is what I said in front of the camera, but, but this is what I really mean right now. This ain't yeah. getting it done. You know, I, I worked with Sheldon there for, for those two years, and I saw him. We were on both sides. We were in last in the in the division at one point and in first in the division, and he is a huge process over results guy. So when we were in first, we gave a meeting, a PowerPoint presentation that showed the team we're in first, but we're actually, you know, we're giving up a ton of chances. We're giving up a ton of these. Like, the results are a mirage. He is really good at seeing through that. It's such a tough sell to the players, though, Kipper. When the guys are winning, they think they're great. When the guys are losing, they think they're not great. And sometimes when you're losing, you're getting unlucky, and, and the process is good. So hopefully JD, last year works as a learning. Get, get, uh, get rid of those guys. Get rid of the guys that you think that just don't understand. Yeah. And that's where Kyle, he wants to hang in there with these guys, and he believes in them, and he believes in the process. But – there comes there, there there has to come a time when it's it's not working and i'm not again it's a bit of a concern the first two games and it's not sometimes if you lose but how you lose and right now i just see a team that they're comfortable in 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 the ways they think they want to win and yeah. right now it's just every time there's a team standing up with a stanley cup at the end when was the last time you, you saw a team win the Stanley Cup and you didn't say that that wasn't the toughest team of the season? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and they're not I tough. See that still. Wait they're not see tough. That still. No. Justin, they can score and they can wait for their power play opportunities like they did last night and bury a couple and they got some sharp shooters and then they can, you know, you can wait out a game and, and Nylander can score like he did in Montreal. But... But when they're not scoring, how tough are you to play against? And that, well, to you know me, what? is still a concern. If 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 uh, Ottawa doesn't Alfonso Davies won in the net last night, are we still talking this uh, dramatically about the Leafs? Just a giant kick in from the crease? What'd you think of that? <laughs> it's got to be no I, goal. I, but I it used to be no I've goal. I've got no problem with that goal. They've they've readjusted the rule why are people having issues with that anymore okay i mean he, here's the thing you're not allowed to he, kick the puck in the net and the man kicked in the motion net. yes was it a deliberate kicking motion yes. i mean we're getting no <laughs> we're getting... no uh, no sammy the... it was not i'll tell you what it was it was a deliberate redirection motion <laughs> That's what it was. <laughs> okay. That's okay. massage to death. Is it not worth a challenge? Is it not worth a challenge? It's not worth a challenge. No, you will lose that all day long. It is so crystal clear that they want 
those type of goals in. The only reason why that rule ever came about is because once upon a time, someone in the NHL office says, oh, that's dangerous. We don't want people kicking. Somebody can get cut. And sure enough, people are getting cut without deliberate motions. They're just, you know, these horrific accidents. But no one's in jeopardy of being hurt when you change the angle of your your skate to put a puck in the net. And like I said earlier this week, NHL has been starving for more goals for how many years? So Mm -hmm. what's wrong with a a nice redirect off a skate? Listen, still, I got no problem with the idea of it. No idea. There's no problem with the idea of it. But I just, it's impossible for me to look at that and say, I mean, did the guy kick it? Yeah, he kicked it in the net. However, you know, if you could put some sort of objectivity on it for me, like say his skate didn't leave the ground, his heel stayed on the ice, therefore it's a goal, fine. Yeah. Now now I'm good. I need a, a way to define it better than is that a kicking motion or not because it's totally... There's few things the NHL oh. likes more in their rules than gray area, and boy, oh boy, yeah. is there some gray area with this one because it looked like his foot went forward off his skate. So what does that mean? Is that not a kick? It's just a redirection. It's a redirection Correct. that he planned, but his stick, Correct. his skate stayed on the ice, so that's okay. Yeah, and okay. the NHL said that's fine. Okay, there we go. So get over yourself. <laughs> I, I mean, I was just a little, I was a little sour. It was worth a challenge. It was worth a challenge okay. to me. Do All you right. mean now on the show, or did you mean last night? Uh, ah, I'm always. It, did, a, it didn't go over. Once the leaf season starts, boys, I'm always a little sour. <laughs> uh, as far as. Uh, the big boys with producing points, that's what they've been doing all along. Uh, Tavares, Marner, clearly uh, not the start that they, they would like. Uh, is there any concern there at all? Well, I think there is. And not because I don't think they're uh, great players, but listen, talking to you a little bit about Tavares so far, the one thing we always said about him was not a great skater. How is it going to age? And some people age into a game where they are thoughtful, which he is, in great hands, which he has, and find a way to stay effective once they lose a half-step. Some people become, I mean, useless once they lose that half-step. I don't think Tavares is going to be useless. I'm not saying that. But there's concern, is there not, that if he loses a half-step, that he's half the player he was? I think right now, with the lack of chemistry with Nick Ritchie, uh there has to be a thought now, how long do you leave a guy like that in, in a top three or, you know, even a top six and how long before Tavares says, I'm on a, I have a ton of pressure on me. I'm making a million bucks and there's not one person in Toronto that doesn't remind me of that every day. I need my cookies here. I, I need somebody that I can, I can create offense with. So yeah, how fast does he want? Matthew's back in the lineup to give, you know, more options. How long yeah. do you stick with Richie as a the top, concern, top line the guy? The concern is, is Richie's not doing anything, not forechecking, not, you know, he's doing nothing. Um, you know, next guy you have is Bunting, and you have concern about him and Tavares playing within the same area of the rink, right? They'd be on top of each other. You know, maybe this is a scenario where Kerfoot, when Matthews comes back, plays the left side, with uh, with Nylander and Tavares. So someone has some uh, change of pace, a little bit of quickness and jump to get in after it and can do something else. Yeah, they were a, a very good even-strength team, especially with Matthews in, in the lineup, and uh, it, it's been a struggle. It's been a struggle for them. 
All right, we're going to take a quick break. We got Dom Moore coming up, uh, a guy, like we said, that uh, had a, a great career, including four out of six original six teams. Uh, we talked earlier about uh, a little bit of a, an identity as Jason Spezza opened up our show on. So we'll talk a little bit about uh, role players and the Leafs and their fourth line. Is it good enough right now? Where's their identity? That and more. Real Kipper and Bourne. Kipper and Bourne. Uh, Kipper, looking at our uh, pregame show list here, one of the things that I wanted us to get to that we have unfortunately not touched on yet was uh, the fourth line here. Like One of the things that the Toronto Maple Leafs have been searching for is a a different look fourth line, right? They've tried to be different from the rest of the NHL. No banging bodies, heavy players. They're going to have offensive contributors. Jason Spezza spent time down there. So far, though, Man, it is a struggle. Uh, Wayne Simmons has not been spectacular through a couple games. What has your take been on on how the Toronto Maple Leafs fourth line has looked? Well, if you if you look over the course of history, you know at at, at that role at, at that position, of course it's changed over the years, and it's based on the fact that there isn't typically that heavyweight, right? And and Don Moore, you know, a little younger than me, uh, certainly has still kind of seen it kind of evolve. And Don, we'll bring you uh, into this conversation as, as well. But the fourth line has a different look in 2021 than it did, you know, in, in my era or, or maybe early parts of, of yours as well, Dom. But the one thing that has not changed is that there has to be a a certain physical dominance when they are out there. And for me, it just starts with a hard forecheck. That's it. Nobody has to say uh, you need to beat up anybody anymore. But as far as having a physical presence on a forecheck, if it's not there and it's not prominent in the seven or eight minutes that you play, then you have no role on the team. It's funny, right? Like, I think it's it's 100% accurate what you said about the forecheck and the heavy presence and the grinding grinding style that kind of has to be there. But I think a little bit beyond that with the fourth line, it depends on how you've built your team, what your philosophy of your roster construction is. I mean, if you take, you know, the, the teams that I was on in New York when we went to the finals and the conference finals, that year, you know, I, I played that fourth line center role there and, you know, it was me and Brian Boyle and we had a, a different cast of characters that kind of rotated through on the other wing, but Alain Vigneault used us as the shutdown line. And that was the way, you know, our team and our roster evolved and, and how the roles shook out. But, you know, there's a lot of teams where, you know, the fourth line is just, a, you know, there's an enforcer and there's a guy that can kill a penalty or two and, you know, they're not used much. Uh, other fourth lines, they're momentum-changing lines, but it all depends on what the, the management's philosophy and what, what they kinds of players they put in. And it all depends on, you know, top to bottom what the complete picture is, right, Kipper? So JB, what is what, what what's Kyle Dubas and Sheldon Keith thinking about their fourth line? 
Well, you know, I, I think he's changed over the years. I think initially there was this idea that they would just have four first lines and that would be effective, but I don't think that's panned out. So they're trying <laughs> to find something else there. Dom, what are your thoughts on the way the Leafs are constructed? Is there is there hope for this team to actually find success in the postseason with the way they're currently built? So here's a little bit of my take on the way the Leafs have been constructed. I think they started with a plan and it was based around the analytics and and finding players that can produce on all lines. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, after some of the results came in, uh, the plan became, instead of proactive, it became reactive. And now that, you know, they wanted some sandpaper because, you know, they thought they needed that. And then they thought they needed something else. And and now it's kind of just reactive over the last couple of years and, and fitting things in. So, Ask me, I'm not sure there is an identity there uh, that's been right. clear. Um, you know, to me, one of the bright spots, though, is Jason Spezza. I mean, Jason Spezza was brought in originally to play, to have skill uh, at the fourth line position and to be able to produce from that spot, which I think you, you do need players to chip in. He's, he's exceeded all expectations. Uh, in my mind, last year in the playoffs, he should have been elevated much earlier. You know, when Tavares went out, Spezza was, I mean, we're talking about analytics. He was, his numbers were through the roof in production per minute. So why was he not elevated earlier in the playoffs? And he seems to have picked up right where he left off. 12, what, 13 minutes on average, JB, for Spezza. It's remarkable that he can have, like, I, yeah. last night, I'm, I'm watching and I'm thinking 15, 17 minutes when the game was over for Jason Spezza, and yet it was still under 14, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, no, he's been super impactful in, like, whatever they seem to give him. I don't know, like, Dom, do you feel like a guy would fall off that quickly? Like, if all of a sudden they gave him 16, you're going to get a totally different Spezza? I don't think so. I mean, I think he's a guy that I think the first, year that he came in and he was playing that limited minutes, it took him a while to kind of know how to produce from that spot. Listen, I lived that. Like, I lived that role. It's it's so much harder than people realize to get a rhythm and get into the game when you're only playing limited minutes. It takes a while to learn how to, okay, you haven't had a shift in five minutes and then you got to go out and make a difference. And I think Spets has done an incredible job at learning how to do that. It took some time, but he knows how to play more minutes. He played more minutes his whole career. I I think he'll only play better if he gets some of those minutes back. I don't think he's lost a step. Listen, look around the the leagues and other sports. Like players are playing much better into their, you know, twilight of their careers. I I don't think there's any concern that physically he'd fall off. Yeah. Listen, I, I I don't disagree with both of you in terms of, you know, Spezza does deserve more minutes, but to Justin's point, if he is getting more minutes, it's because someone else doesn't deserve those that you anticipated. And then you're in the plan B mode because plan A sucks right now. <laughs> I think that's right. I mean, I think that's right. And and the point was not to say that Spets should be the second line center. It's just simply that he has been a bright spot on that fourth line. He is a guy that can fill in when there's injuries and, you know, plan A isn't going well. But 
I think just in terms of that roster construction question, it's hard to tell right now a little bit what some of those identities are in the depth, depth areas, depth forwards. When you talk about identity, I wonder, like we were talking about, so the Leafs so far through two games have the most uh, turnovers leading to scoring chances in the NHL. 21 scoring chances against based on turnovers. And I'm kicking around the idea of like, is that a mental thing or is that just the personnel they have? I don't like, Is it even possible to change it when you have guys who prefer to make plays rather than just to chip it in and get after it? Boy, that, that's that's a good question. I mean, I think uh, it comes down to the kind of players you have. It's early in the season. You know, it's, it's players are coming off of summer hockey. I know they've had camp and everything, but we know that the, the league gets more defensive and the coaches get their hands on the teams gradually as the, as the season gets underway. Um, I think, you know, they've got a lot of players that make plays. So I, I'm not as concerned about that area. I think the discipline and the kind of risk-reward decision-making will get better. Uh, it might take a few weeks, but uh, I think that's based on some of the skill they have in their lineup and some of the kind of summer habits just needing to get kind of calibrated to the, you know, the real games. You know, Don, b- before you came on, uh, we were talking about uh, how – I thought I was a super cool guy because I played on two original six teams and you've played on four. And <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, you're missing uh, Detroit and Chicago. Yep. Exactly. So, no, I, so, I, yeah, go ahead. No, I feel very lucky. I mean, I, I wouldn't have wished to have moved around as much as I did in my career. I would have loved to have stayed in, in one or two places, but I feel very blessed to have played for those teams as someone that appreciates the history and tradition of those franchises. So, while making any team in the NHL is is absolutely huge, there there is for me a big difference between original six and everybody else. And and the longer we go, the more special it is uh, to be on original six team. Uh, which brings me to the fact that the pressures that you've felt over the years uh, in each of those marketplaces and, and the one particularly that's going on right now here in, in Toronto, and you've had it on a, on a couple of occasions with the Toronto Maple Leafs, but can, can you speak to, to what you felt even as a leaf going into playoff scenarios or, or races and, and how, how it is today is it the same? Is there much? Is there more pressure? You think on these kids because the money's there for them, and and they're constantly reminded. But there's something to be said about the pressures that come with those original six cities. Oh, certainly is, and you know I think a lot of it is personality based. Um, for me, like you know, I played in places like Florida, and and I played in places like Toronto, and. I would much rather play in a place where people care. And so to me, my outlook was that, hey, it's a privilege to play in a place. And, you know, I grew up in Toronto, so I I knew what that was all about. And so it was a privilege to play in front of fans that had passion and love for the sport. And, you know, you would take the pressure that goes along with that any day of the week to have a building full of people that, really, really would give an arm and a leg for the team to win. So I think it's all about personally how you look at it. 
Um, you know, and playing in places like Montreal, it's it's different than even Toronto. You know, because in Montreal, it's it's the only show in town. The Canadians, you know, there, there there's no Blue Jays, there's no Raptors, and that's a different kind of pressure there. Um, and then I can I think the second layer is the expectations though that the organization has, and I think that is where it's particularly taking a toll on, on the Maple Leafs team now because the expectations have been so high, um, but the, the results have simply not not come. You know, I, I love the idea of expectations, particularly looking at uh, another team that, that you were tied to, the Rangers. That's the weirdest team in the NHL to me this year. Like, they could be absolutely awesome or awful, and I would believe it. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on where they're at and their progression from sort of a, a rebuild or a retool to, to hopefully ascending again? Yeah, it certainly has been a long rebuild. I mean, you know, we were contending team, and then, you know, in 2014, 2015, playoff team, 2016, and then it was kind of a long and slow downhill, and then, you know, a few draft lottery wins and and still kind of on the uphill. But I, I think it all depends on how quickly, you know, Gallant can kind of get his his system in place and get some young players to buy into it. Uh, the goaltending for me is a question. Uh, the, the talent is there in net, but I'm not sure the consistency is there. Um, Adam Fox is, is incredible, um, but, you know, you, you can't rely on him to play. You know, he's not, he's not intended to be a penalty killer. He's playing huge minutes. Uh, he's mostly supposed to be an offensive defenseman, uh, so they need support there. Uh, you know, Keandre Miller stepping up and his development would be, uh, huge for them. So I, I really don't know what to expect of them. It's such a competitive division. Uh, I think they're in that group, though. I think there's like four or five teams that are, you know, there's a handful that are certainly not going to make the playoffs. There's a handful that are certainly going to. I think they're in that middle group. As far as the Rangers are concerned, there's no question what the ownership wants out of them, and that is a playoff spot. Uh, you don't you don't get rid of John Davidson and, Jeff Gordon uh, to come close again with such a young team still in, in development. Uh, this is a tough task. And, and then you got Chris Drury who, who has gone in there, put a lot on his plate here with the presidency and general manager. And I don't think they got off to a great start in training camp. And I think they play Montreal on the weekend and someone's in dire need of a win. Montreal versus the Rangers Saturday night. <laughs> uh, they sure are. And, you know, again, the pressure, like these early games, right? Like it's, this is a longer season. Remember, we got the full season this year. It's not shortened. There's, it, there's a little bit longer runway here, but still there's such a sense of urgency in those locker rooms. Like if you start slowly, you know, you lose a couple games. I think even of Tampa, right? If Tampa loses to Detroit in the second game, you know that they're really kind of, okay, it's Tampa. They're not going to panic, but it's not a good feeling in that locker room if you start 0-2 and you, you lost to the Red Wings. But lo and behold, they pull that one out. It's a totally different feeling. These early games are got to manage those nerves. Last one for me, Dom. Just want to know about your general take on turning into an analyst after your days as a player. Like, how, how, 
how much do you enjoy it? Do you, does it make you miss the game? What has the, the process been like turning yourself into a, an analyst over the years? <laughs> well, I don't miss it, to be honest. I, I, I don't miss no? playing. And I, I, no, I mean, I, I, love, I love, you know, being involved and calling the games. It was, it was phenomenal in the playoffs last year, you know, with NBC, uh, you know, calling all the North Division games in the U.S. It was a, it was a, a thrill to be a part of that. It, kind of gotten the same rhythm that you get into as a player in the playoffs, except I, I woke up a lot less sore. So uh, it's been a lot That's of fun uh, to be a part of and, uh, you know, always a pleasure to, to be on with you guys. Hey, Dom, over my career on and off the ice, I've done a lot of charity events uh, and, and a lot of them sometimes are long days on the golf course, but you came up with a gem with your smash fest ping pong. I know COVID has put havoc on, on your event and, and many others, uh, but give us an update on it and uh, how quickly can I get invited back? Well, thanks Skipper. And uh, you know, people should know that of, of all the players that have come over the years, uh, Kipper has been one of the most dedicated and supportive guys. He never misses a year. Uh, so very grateful uh, but yeah, we, um, we canceled 2020, but we actually, you know, the event always takes place in Toronto, but because we, it wasn't feasible to do anything in Toronto this year, we actually held our ninth annual in, uh, just outside New York city in August. So, uh, we're hopeful that next summer we'll be able to do uh smash fest 10th annual, uh, back in Toronto again. So, uh, again, hope to have you there as usual, Kipper. Yeah, I may even bring uh, you, Justin. I just, uh, you know, you play your cards right, and if you, you say it's nice, you don't want to things, bring me and then get shown up. Yeah, it's not going to be just, a good look. What am I, chop liver? Uh, Sammy, <laughs> Sammy, you wait in the parking lot. I'll bring you a sandwich. Okay. <laughs> see, see what happens when you say nice things about me. You, you, you could tang along for the ride. <laughs> I'm right. in. I'm in. Dom, thanks for doing this, pal. Oh, thanks for having me. All right. Thanks, Dom. Appreciate it. Dom Moore, former NHLer and uh, current NHL analyst. Uh, Great insight. He's a Hobbit guy. Yeah. JB. Being smart must be nice. Oh, my God. It just...